Hello, what, what did I mess up? No, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. We didn't get to the good part of the theme song yet, but that's all right. It's a long, it's a long intro. Welcome, everybody. How are you guys all doing? That was awful. How are you guys all doing? <laughs> so my name, I lost my headphones. There it is. My name is Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Musset. And we are the Lanky Guys, and you are listening to the one-year anniversary episode of The Word on the Hill. Yeah. Yeah. And today we are recording live, well, it's recorded, but we're in person <laughs> with people, with human beings, although not many of them, but with some human beings at the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center at the University of Colorado in Boulder on a very, very snowy and cold and kind of miserable day. Yeah, but uh, hey, I still dig it. And and we're in a, a place which is affectionately named the Musk Cafe. Who is that named after? Uh, that's me. Uh, in fact, <laughs> one of our members of the studio audience is wondering if you named it after yourself. No, well, it got named it got named <laughs> this way because um, uh, what happened is when we got here, there, every single door in this building could be closed. And I thought, no, man, there has to be a place that's public. Like, viva la revolution. <laughs> and uh, and so, so I got some dudes, and we just took the doors off of the thing. And, and like, the ire was, like, stirred. People Who's were, ire? The students. They, the, uh, they were mad about they ugly were, doors being taken they out? They were. And they came to me, and they were wow. like, um, do you remember what this place is called? And I'm like, yeah. And they're the student center. And they're like, that's right. It's for the <laughs> students. You Whoa. can't just take off doors. And I was like, well, um, that's funny, because I did. <laughs> Nice work. And, uh, and, but then they came to love it, and we all love it. It's a, we have a great affection for this place. So now. who coined the term the Must Cafe then? I really don't know. Pro- what did you hear? Father Kevin. I think probably Father Kevin did. I, would, like I wouldn't Kevin. have been surprised. It sounds like Father Kevin, who I'm yeah. sure listens to this religiously. He, no, is, he, a re- he <laughs> is a religious. He is a religious who is, doesn't listen. Um, awesome. So I want to give a shout-out. At the beginning of all of our shows, we give shout-outs to people. Um, yep. And I want to give a shout out to Alex Pandolfo. Do you guys know Alex Pandolfo? Pando. He's a huge part of Father Peter's um, conversion story. And actually, yeah. Father Greg at Mass this last Sunday told a great story about you guys. Father yeah, Peterson. He, he did. But he, Alex he, is listening from uh, somewhere in Nowheresville, Nebraska. Sorry, I just isol- I just alienated everybody who listens from his school. And Matt Bodger, who just, <laughs> I hurt because, oh, he's wearing a Nebraska t-shirt. Or sweatshirt. Yeah, they're the same thing in uh, Nebraska. T-shirts and sweatshirts? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to be incinerative. <laughs> nice. Anyway, shout out to Alex Pandolfo. Because he's awesome. Yeah, because he's awesome. My mom um, told me uh, over Thanksgiving that um, it's not, it was official that I had to give her a shout out on every single episode of The Lanky Guys. Wow. Have you? No, no. not even close. No, no. You don't love your mother. I do love my mother, that's and that's sad. why I'm just saying, Mom, I love you. Thanks for taking <laughs> care of me over Thanksgiving when I had the flu. I thought your sister took care of you over Thanksgiving when you had the flu. No, no, my sister actually made me clean up after myself when I had oh, the flu. Yeah, the <laughs> that was like she was like she's like, now, am I officially now the worst sister in the world? And I was like, yeah. no. I mean, I kind of understand if somebody had the flu at my house, I'd be like, you could take care of yourself. I've had the flu at your house. Well, and how did I respond to you? You ignored me. Exactly. Thank you very much. I am not nurturing. No, you're not. That's all right. Um, should we go for it? I thought that's what we're doing already. Well, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> the actual it. The actual it? Yeah, maybe. So what we, have you guys all listened to this show before? Yeah. Everybody here? Okay. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You've yeah. all heard the show before. Yeah. No, Matt. A- I didn't see Matt's reaction. Have you listened to this? 
No, you've never listened to it. That's fine. You don't have to. You have to listen to me every day. So what we do is we make fun of each other. <laughs> we give shout outs and then we talk about the scriptures. And we think we're unique because we talk about all four of the Sunday readings, which which is it's not hard the to case do. with everybody. It's no. hard to do. It really is. And sometimes we uh it's kind of like driving your van in the mud. Sometimes you get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> And you have to have a van. Good timing on that, by the way. And there's mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuckingness. Yeah, thank you, dude. I, I, um, I, I'm looking forward to today. So let's, uh, let's, let's get it. into this, some of these readings and figure out what they say and see if we can say something about what they say. Let's do it. So we're in the second Sunday of Advent. Okay, so the, the we're reading. everything. We should just tell our audience everything's a little bit haywire here. Father Peter was like 25 minutes late to the recording. Hey it's man. super snowy. It's a lousy time of day. Lots of people couldn't make it in the snow. It's crazy cold. Um, the technology failed us miserably as we were getting started. Yeah, man, I had to like, yeah, but that's okay. Everything's great. So we're happy. We're in good spirits, and we're gonna have a really good time. Well, I'm already having a good Yay time. Yay for Thanks. us! You're like a, such a dad. You're like <laughs> you sound. That? that sounded like the uh, the 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 speech from um from uh, uh national lampoon's vacation when he's like he's like this is no longer a podcast this is a pilgrimage a pilgrimage to see marty moose to wally world i love you that know, movie marty moose marty i did feel moose. like a dad all right so everybody shut up or we're gonna turn this podcast around and go home no that didn't take the other thing we <laughs> this is a good funny, yeah this is all. good to know if my jokes stick or not that one did not <laughs> But I can't edit it out because you're all sitting right there. So good. Okay. So we're stuck with that one. All right. So the first Sunday, second Sunday of Advent, and we are uh, in year A, right? A. So our <laughs> A. So our readings are coming from the first reading is from Isaiah, which is where it came from last week, but different, different Isaiah. Yep. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 10. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 72, verse 1 through 2, 7 through 8, 13, 12 through 13, and 17, 17. randomly thrown in there. Everybody likes 17. Everybody, you got to love 17. If you Shoved guys right have in. your uh, Bibles, you can get them out now. If you don't, you can look alongside with the Protestant next to you who probably did remember. Yeah. Or you can get out your iPhones. Oh, there we go. Your readings. Now I see all the iPhones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like Bible. Nobody What's had their that? Bibles. But everybody's got their iPhone. They all got the iPhones. This is the reason, uh, listening audience, why you should have a Bible on your iPhone so that you can listen to Lanky Guys. This is the reason for the season. All right. Uh, so second reading is Psalm 72. The second, no, that's the responsorial. Yeah, Psalm. and then the, the second reading is read-only memory, 15, <laughs> 4 through 9. <laughs> Keenan, seriously, you're in the audience <laughs> and you're calling us. This is... <laughs> <laughs> like you guys, this is the kind of mayhem. This is why we don't do this. This, this is, is why, why we, we can't do. have nice things. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Keenan, for calling us five feet away. This is great. Everyone's laughing at all the jokes that I wouldn't have laughed at yeah, when too. you said them. So I have no awesome. idea how this is received out in the world. No, universe. we don't know. This is fun. But if you want us to come to a live version of Lanky Guys at your venue. You can We're fly probably us out busy. there. I'm an opportunist, sure and you're like, yeah, we're pretty sure. Okay. No, I think it'd be fun. Okay, second reading okay. is read-only memory, 15, 4 through 9, and then the gospel. What did you just say? Read-only memory. Rom. Romans. Romans. Is that a computer nerd joke? That is a computer nerd that joke. That was an awful. I, and I did it twice, and still nobody thought it was funny. Nobody. So I did it a third time, and then it was funny. Yep. All right. Okay. So where are we? Romans 15, and 4 then, through 9. And then we're at Mount 3, oh 1 my through 12. This is the worst. It's on usccb.org. They just abbreviate. They don't say like Romans. They just say MT, Matthew. So it's Matthew 3, 1 through 12. That's right. 
you shall read it, embrace it, enjoy it, love it. Love it. All right. So we're in Isaiah. That Was that loud? Yeah, very. Sorry, right in your ears. Yeah. Um, it's really weird talking to all of you and having headphones because it feels like we're very isolated from you. Do you feel like we're talking to you? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Somebody said no. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no. But that's that's what it's like in the car for the people who are commuting. Oh, A- yeah. Avery was here, but she, she didn't. Avery? Then you're definitely going to get called out on that in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I okay. hope you haven't had your coffee yet. Okay, Avery. so there's the, my nickname for the first reading today from Isaiah is Stumpy. I knew you were going to say that. I know you well enough to have predicted that if you gave the first reading a nickname, it would have been Stumpy. It's Stumpy, because from the stump of the root of Jesse, a shout shall sprout. <laughs> well done. Shoots shall sprout from the stump a of shout Jesse. Shall sprout. All right, so yeah, so that this is this is actually a really famous passage. It's a really famous line from Isaiah. So on that day, a root shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse was the father of David. Did he have a tree? Probably. I don't know. Because didn't you guys remember Jesse trees from when you were like younger? I was just about to talk about the Jesse tree because we have a, a kick a Jesse tree in our... <laughs> <laughs> a totally righteous... A sweet Jesse tree butt in our house. Jesse tree in your house? Which is actually great. So do you guys know what the Jesse tree is? Anybody? I know the, jo- Joshua, yes. the Joshua tree. Isn't that like a U2 album? That's a U2 album and a national park. Yeah. All in one. But So I don't know what a Jesse tree is though. You don't? You just brought it up. I'm, I know, but that doesn't mean I know anything about <laughs> <All right>. it. <laughs> Here's the straight man. So do you, have you guys ever had Jesse trees when you were kids? No. I see a couple yeses. Good. Camp Boy T was representing. Um, so the Jesse tree is this. You basically get a tree. Or we, we cut down this big shrub in our, in our, from our – we got branches. Shrubbery. Shrubberies. We put them on our table, and we put uh, a little ornament on the little bush or the shrub every day during Advent. So for all 25 days – is it 25 days of Advent? Because we started basically on December 1st, right? I don't know. I, anyway. I, d- I didn't get my Lego Lord of the Rings advent calendar that I saw on ThinkGeek, so I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> the laughter just kind of grew like a tiny little wave, and eventually it hit the shore. Just like Legos do. Just like Legos do. So, um, yeah, it's 25 days. So, basically, there's a little ornament for every day of Advent, and each of the ornaments has a little picture on it. So, the first day was was a- the first day on Sunday, so last Sunday the first, was actually a little stump with a shoot growing out of it. And um, then the next day was the earth because God created the earth. And then the next day was the apple with the snake around it. And then the next day is the rainbow because of this. So it's basically telling the entire story of salvation history in a really kind of child-friendly, digestible way, um, which is a really profound thing to do. And it's really, it's challenging. So there's this little book that came with it. And I, I think most of you know me well enough to know that I was just dissatisfied with the book. And so I basically threw it away because I hated it. Um, well, I didn't hate it, but it just wasn't. I threw it on the ground. On the ground. This, this ain't my dad. This is <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> but, but it just wasn't very good. But it's kind of cool because it's forcing me to figure out how to tell salvation history day to day to a two-year-old and a five-year-old in a way that they're actually going to get something that's from a, this. That's awesome. It's really cool, and I think it's actually helping to make me a better teacher. So on Sunday, it was this little stump with a shoot coming out of it. And I was like, okay, how do I explain this? And so, you know, Lily was like, well, why? Okay, I get that's a tree stump, and there's a little bush growing out of it, but why? And so I was like, well, it's, it, what it means is that there was this time, you know, there was this great kingdom, and there were these people who were loved by God, but they had this really hard time, and it was like their tree got cut down. And it was, li- was kind of like they were like that tree, and they fell to the ground, and they were kind of hurting, and it was this really dark, sad time. But out of that stump, a little bush, a little hope, a leaf, a flower 
started to grow because God was saying there's going to come a time when I'm going to kind of rebuild this tree. That's awesome. I, I really am motivated by that because right next to the church, there was some 50 mile an hour winds this week yeah. and it blew over. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was just, it was a gigantic, it was one of my favorite trees and, and it blew over and, and now there's just a big tree in the alley. They haven't removed the no, tree. No, it's just sitting it's, there. I went like, up to your house to get the recording equipment. Yeah. And you had there's to like climb over the, the tree. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I just drove around it. Oh, but I couldn't. <laughs> That would have been a little bit easier for the earlier times. Yeah, that's true. Um, We should talk about a little bit of background of of Isaiah and a little bit of the setting of what what is going on in this book. We talked a little bit of Isaiah last week, um, but maybe some people didn't actually catch the podcast last week because it was Thanksgiving. I know Matt didn't. Matt didn't listen to the podcast because he never (laughs) listens to it because he doesn't care for us. He doesn't love us. You were in Nebraska. Were you in Nebraska for Thanksgiving? Do they even have electronics there? Could you pick it up? He, He said it's not worthy of a comment. They can't hear it. But they he commented it. on saying that he that was a comment. Anyway, oh, okay. yeah. that in and of itself. We've lost the audience. They're talking about other things. <coughs> All right, so Isaiah. Um, some interesting things about Isaiah. Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel because it actually has more information about Jesus and about the Messiah who is to come than any other book of the Old Testament, um, all in one place. And so this is actually where we get a lot of the Christmas prophecies. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Um, you know, this one about the shoot, st- uh, shooting forth from the stump of Jesse. Basically what Isaiah is doing, Isaiah is being written by a prophet named Isaiah in around the 8th century B.C. Yeah. So he's writing in the time when the nation of Assyria, and we've talked a lot about salvation history on the show before. So remember, the nation of Israel was divided into a big civil war. One, half, one part of it went up north, founded their own kingdom. Then the south, Jerusalem, they remained down south. Just remember 10 and 2. 10, ten and, and two, 2. 10 and 2. Um, 10 tribes, 2 tribes. And types two tribes driving down the road. But at this point in history, the nation of Assyria is attacking the northern kingdom. And <coughs> excuse me, by 722 BC, the nation of Assyria will have totally obliterated and wiped out the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Jerusalem, and all the people around Jerusalem are watching this happen happen to their their brothers and sisters up north, and they're watching Assyria slowly creep into their own territory. And it seems like destruction is on the horizon. It's coming. And and Assyria does make some pretty big headway. They destroy a lot of Jerusalem, they wipe out a lot of towns, and they reap a, a lot of havoc. And so Isaiah is sort of the official royal prophet of the kings. So he starts under a king named Ahaz, or Ahaz, as Father uh, Peter called Ahaz, him earlier today. Ahaz. Which it, it was to probably nerdy that, that I just made fun of you. It was probably more of making fun of me that I made fun of you. For yeah, Ahaz. Anyway, he's the royal prophet, so he's telling all the kings that this is happening. He's saying, look at what's happening in the north. This nation of Assyria, they're coming to us. God is punishing us. We haven't been faithful. We've turned aside. There's actually consequences to sin. Yeah. And he spans this huge length of time. So I mentioned last week on the podcast, a lot of modern scholars want to split Isaiah into three parts. So that there's kind of this first part, which is chapters 1 through 39, which is Isaiah talking to all these kings. But then things get weird. And then in uh, chapters 40 through 55 or something like that, Isaiah begins to prophesy about things that are going to happen in the future that actually haven't happened yet. Like there's going to be a king named Cyrus, the Persian, who's going to eventually let the people go. And then it goes on in chapters 40 through 66 to talk about all these things that are going to happen when they finally actually do get destroyed and do go into exile and all these things to hope for once that happens. And so really a lot of modern scholars looked at this book and they said, you know what, here's this prophet. He's writing in the 8th century, but he's talking all of a sudden about all of these things that really won't happen for another couple hundred hundred years. There's no way that this guy could have known about all that stuff beforehand. 
And there's this school of thought in modern academics called demythologizing. That basically there was a school of thought that went through the whole Bible and sought to remove any sense of the prophetic, any sense of the miraculous, any sense that the Bible could actually tell the future, that God actually knows what's going to happen. And surely that can't be the case. So surely somebody actually just went back in and rewrote this. Now, Don't call me Shirley. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know. I mean, the jury, I, I lean toward the fact that Isaiah just wrote the book. Even modern scholarship, though, has kind of changed its tune on this and began to say, well, you know, whoever wrote all these parts of Isaiah, the fact of the matter is there is this beautiful book. It actually has these brilliant literary ties to it. And so it's kind of silly to kind of go back and forth trying to figure out, OK, who wrote that part? Who wrote this sentence? Who wrote that sentence? And just take it as a whole. And it, it is kind of neat. So there's this kind of question. I was reading one of the commentaries in my office this morning, and uh, it was dealing with this question, okay, how do you deal with the fact that Isaiah in the last part of the book is dealing with all the stuff that hasn't happened yet? They haven't gone into exile. They will. And he's giving this advice to people living in exile. And there was this author I was reading that said, um, you know, a great way to look at this, it's like an aging grandfather who writes a letter to his baby granddaughter to be opened on her wedding day, right? He knows he's probably not going to be alive necessarily for that, but he's actually got advice for, for his beloved, the one that he loves, to read at a later date. So anyway, you know, I don't know who wrote Isaiah and all the parts of Isaiah, but I think it's a really beautiful thing to read the book as a whole. And if you do it that way, then you get this vast scope of so much of salvation history, the time before, you know, the time of the Civil War, the time when their brothers are being destroyed, the time where they're looking out for it, and he's looking forward and saying, you know, we are going to be spared from this nation, but another one is coming on their tails, and he's going to wipe us out. Or they're, they're going to wipe us out. Now, what's the point of all this? So that was a lot of background to this that was That was a lot of background. Hey, it's no more than I give every week. Whatever, dude. Shut up. Um, hey. But the, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said See, I would have edited that out, but we're live, so I there's know, nothing I can hurt, do about that it. That hurt my heart. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah, it'll heal. <laughs> Like Isaiah's stump, the stump of your heart. There's the stump a stump of my heart coming forth out of it. Yeah, of yeah. love for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. And, and for the audience before us. But, okay, so in that context, then, you read Isaiah chapter 11, and it's saying, on that day, there. so basically Isaiah is telling the kings, look, our tree is going to be cut down. This nation, this people that God has blessed, it's going to be knocked down. We have fallen to sin. We've been terrible people. <laughs> There's actually consequences. We were actually supposed, Isaiah doesn't say this, but the fact of the matter is their job from the beginning of the Old Testament was to go out and to evangelize the nations, yeah, they to had, bring everyone back to God. They had one job. They had one job, which was to be the light. One so job. the fact that there is an Assyria who's destroying their neighbors, the fact that there is a Babylon who's going to wipe them out shows that they actually didn't do their job in the first place. Well, and I think that when you look at Isaiah right now going on, it's right coordinated with the founding of Rome which I think is an, a really an interesting point to make that Rome is actually going to, it's yeah. a, a big, even that the seeds, that there's a sprout that's, that's going to rise up, that's actually going to cut down and going to be, uh, is going to be very aggressive towards uh, this anointed, which Isaiah has a really profound uh, understanding of, that, that, uh, that the Lord is actually, um, uh, uh, the Father is actually coordinating all of these world events that are going to take place, even in, in its inception right there. Yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, in, in case you didn't pick up, Rome and Isaiah are coordinated in time-wise. Yeah, which, and there, but there's another embedded point to that, because you can go back then in these histories and realize, oh my gosh, as Isaiah is writing about all these national political threats on the horizon, this massive national political threat of Rome, they're actually growing, and oh my gosh, you can see all the seeds of this stuff, which if you actually see that whole schema, it, it 
gives a new light when Jesus actually shows up. And, and I think one of the things Jesus is trying to convince his audiences of is really those nations have never been the problem. I mean, the bottom line is, and the bottom line, if you read the prophets rightly, if you read Jesus rightly, there's always going to be a Sirius. There's always going to be a Babylon. There's always going to be a Rome. There's always going to be an Egypt. There's always going to be somebody who wants to get us. There's always going to be somebody who hates the church and wants to wipe us out. That's not the issue. That's just kind of par for the course. I mean, how many times do we just get freaked out as Catholics? Oh my gosh, look at the culture, look at the world, look at the media, we're being attacked, we're getting beat up on, oh, what do we do? And the fact of the matter, I mean, if we know our history, that is just the way it goes. It has from the beginning, and I think it's interesting that Jesus never once yeah. in his Gospels yeah. goes against Rome. He never criticizes Rome. They're, they're jerks, and they're corrupt, and they're um, oppressive, yeah. but that's never his concern. His concern is always... Uh, what they are symptomatic of, which is the fact that there is evil, there is sin in the world, and we're guilty of that more than anybody else. All we can deal with is actually our, the state of our hearts, and if we can deal with that, then we can be a beacon to the world. Paul never deals with the problem of Rome and their evil and their corruption and their persecution. He deals with the threats inside the church because that's what we can deal with, and that's where the bigger problems lie. There's always going to be yeah. enemies, but the church actually has to clean up her act. And so that's what Isaiah is really getting at. So anyway, back to this whole thing. So Isaiah is saying, okay, this is all going to happen. It's all going to be pretty dark. Our tree is going to be knocked down, but there will come a day when a shoot, a flower, a branch will come forth from this stump that has been cut down. And he goes on, if you read through this first reading, it actually zeroes in on this baby who's going to show up. It's all going to take form, uh, take take flesh in a certain sense in the form of this child. And actually the this whole part of the book from chapter 7 through 12 is all these prophecies about this child who's going to be born. Chapter 7 is the one where it all talks about a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and he's going to do all these things. Um, you know, it's one of those things where hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I, I've read all the commentaries and all the Jewish responses to this about, okay, what is who is this child? Well, maybe it's Hezekiah who comes later. Well, maybe it's the, a son Isaiah has in, in a couple chapters. It's not until you have the light of Jesus Christ to realize, oh my gosh, all of these things were actually fulfilled in a way that nobody even dreamed about them being fulfilled in. So it's setting us up for the Christmas story before they had any sense of it. You know, when I'm looking at the, the child who, lead, who has the, who's leading the calf and the lion and the cow and the bear and like hanging out and like putting his hand in adder's layers. Um, what? Yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't putting it, his hand, oh, in adder's layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is an adder? An adder is, um, uh, I guess, remember that show, The Black Adder? Oh my gosh, that is like some deep level British comedy. Like that's <laughs> that's total absurdity. But the adder, an adder is like a, a viper or a uh, or a uh, a cobra. Oh, it's a snake. It's a snake. All right, thank you. I didn't. I have never heard of that show, and I didn't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's my brother is probably the only person out there who's like the black adder. <laughs> <laughs> There's a but, shout out to Neil. But um, I'm wondering, uh, as we're dealing with this prophecy, are these? Um, I, can, I, I, don't, I don't have enough uh, knowledge to know if uh, these wolves and lambs and calves and lions and cows and bears are <laughs> representative of the nations around. I like that there's some some level of symbolic quality to some sort of political reality that's further. I mean, I, I don't know if, you, if you've ever investigated that, but I'd imagine, I mean, with all of the level of, of, of symbolic nature of things with Isaiah, if that was a reality. But I don't know. I mean, I like to ask questions I don't know the answer to. I don't. I actually I doubt it. I don't know for sure, but I actually am. I'm a little bit doubtful of it. I mean, there are prophecies where 
there's these the whole series of prophecies in Daniel. Remember where he sees this vision of a lion and a bear and a leopard and this indescribable thing that actually represent all these nations. Yeah, I think I mean there could be a piece of that in this, but I think it's it's bigger than that. That's even too short sighted. What it's what it's showing is that when this shoot comes forth from the stump, when this baby is born. All of creation is going to be wrapped up into this reality. The cows, the lambs, the, the animals themselves, the mountains, the, the grass, the rocks, everything is going to be wrapped into this reality. It's not just going to be a political kingdom that's reborn. It's going to be a whole new creation, this eschatological vision that creation will be renewed from its very core. And that includes the nations. It includes the politics. It includes everything down to the cattle and the lambs. Well, I, I think that we're the adder. yeah. I think that we're talking um, one level. F um, like, what is the nature of this stump? Because we have the stump of Jesse, which is like the great kingdom of David. Jesse is is David's father. So we have this tree that's cut down. Da the Davidic kingdom is gone. What is the shoot? I, I really believe that the shoot is uh, is Mary. And huh. that the bud on the shoot is actually Jesus Christ, because that's because wow. because there's a, there's a level of detail. I was hmm. also thinking you could muse on it and talk a little bit too, because because there's great pains made uh, to demonstrate that Mary and Joseph are both of the Davidic line, yeah. and and which I, I think is is really pretty cool when yeah. you look at, at at that stump. And there's some really great art of the of the of the stump of Jesse. There is, you know, and there's there's another thing I want to say about that, but I might wait. I might wait till the end. Okay. By the way, everyone here, we don't spend this long on every reading. Well, this one, <laughs> it's been like 26 minutes. Yeah. There's but we'll we'll whip through the other. There's only one person who's drooling back there, and I'm just like, yeah, just, 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 that's cool. Off. Just wipe. I am looking at you. I'm just. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the responsorial psalm. So okay. I don't have too much to say about the responsorial psalm except this. So this is Psalm 72, and the responsorial itself. Hello, Mr. Hate. The responsorial self says justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Now, Psalm 72, a little bit of historical background on this. This is actually one of the psalms that would have been sung at the coronation of the kings. So when there was a new king that was going to take power in the Davidic line, it's actually believed that Solomon might have written this, written this prayer. Oh, cool. As a thing, as a, uh, a uh, what do you call it? A hymn, I guess. But a song to be sung at the coronation of his son. Oh. But what's interesting about that is the way the church actually links these two things. So what you just read about was this terrible situation, this knockdown tree, some hope that's slowly growing in there, a little baby and a bunch of animals getting along. Then all of a sudden, the church throws at you this coronation hymn of the greatest kings in their history. So it's connecting you, this birth of this child and this reuniting of all these animals and stuff, they're tying in with a royal coronation, which is, I think, kind of a neat, a neat thing to, for the church to do. Yeah, One thing I, I just have to... Especially if, if, if you haven't been listening, like a, a couple of people who are no longer listening, um, <laughs> is that uh, they, they left the room. Did he, I think he bailed on us. Who did? Matt. Matt's gone. I didn't even notice. Dude, he slipped out. That's okay. Matt didn't listen to us to begin with, so we're done with him. We don't we, need him. We love, we love you who listen and who are <laughs> with us here. Um, but that, uh, that uh, if you have been listening to the podcast, we talked about how the name Messiah act, uh, it means um, uh, anointed one, the, the Christ, the one who is, is anointed. It's a traditional uh, name for a king. So we're actually talking about Jesus as Christ, as king. Right, right. the Messiah. Mm. Yeah, so it's but it is, one thing that's interesting, so there's all this talk about babies being born, kings being crowned, and all these different things, but Jesus actually doesn't show up once in any of these readings. 
which I think is kind of interesting. Weird. They're all sort of peripheral to him, which is kind of a, appropriate for Advent, isn't it? Because we're actually waiting, we're talking about, we're looking forward to the birth of Christ, but he actually doesn't show up in these readings yet, which I think is just interesting. I, I, that's I, that's a really, I, I think that links all of these readings just to begin with. I it think does kind of. I think we're done with the podcast. Now. All right, good night, everybody. Thanks, Thanks for, coming. for coming. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, somebody's cheering. <laughs> everybody cheering. I know, I'm going to cry uh, now. Okay, don't oh. cry. All right, so that brings us to Romans, the second reading. The second reading is weird because it's always kind of the wild card reading, and you kind of have to work a little bit to connect it together. So this is Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. So this is the very end of the book of Romans. And, I mean, you know this. Romans is one of my favorite books. I'm doing my dissertation on Romans. So here's basically what's going on in Romans. Uh, one thing we have to point out, at the, remember the very end of the first reading? One of the things we didn't know, but you, you mentioned the whole idea of the nations being kind of wrapped into this. The reading actually ends by saying the Gentiles shall seek out his dwelling and shall be glorious. So it ends with this note on all the non-Jews too. So I mean what this what the first reading is talking about is God is going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of the Hebrew people. But it ends with this kind of note that's just kind of throwing it at you. Oh, by the way, the Gentiles are going to be glorified in this too. Uh, Everybody else is going to be wrapped in. It's, it's almost a side note here. Yeah. But then you get to Romans. And if you, if you know the book of Romans, the context of Romans is essentially there is this dispute going on in the church of Rome in Paul's time. Wherein, um, I mean, this is, if you think about the history of, of the time, this is it's somewhere probably around the year 54 or so uh, AD. And what's going on at the time, there was this situation in Rome know. where, what? I don't know. It's cool. But there was this situation in Rome where all of the all of the Jewish people were actually expelled from the city of Rome oh. in the year 49 AD or something like that. Yeah, it was 49. Claudius, the emperor Claudius, expelled all the Jewish people. It's mentioned in Acts of the Apostles. Remember Prisca and Aquila? Yes. Who Paul stays with? It actually says that Paul they were in Corinth because they got kicked out of Rome because the emperor had expelled all the Jewish people. Anyway, oh. what that means, if we know the early church, the early church was all Jewish. So all the bishops, all the priests, all the church leaders, the house church leaders— they were by and large Jewish. Now, it was extending out to the non-Jewish people. But if you picture the scene in 49, if it's true that Claudius did expel all the Jewish people, then that included all the Jewish Christians as well. Because to Claudius, that was an ethnic distinguishing feature, not a religious one. So all of the Jewish Christians, all the leaders of the church, imagine they were all kicked out of the city, which means the church in Rome ceased to look like it used to look because all the leadership was actually kicked out. So what happens to the church in Rome? Well, non-Jewish people have to take up the baton. So all of a sudden, it's the Gentiles who are the bishops and the priests and the house church leaders and everything else. By the way, you can actually see evidence. If you go to the very end of Romans, you know, in all Paul's letters, he gives kind of these hello goodbyes to people. Hey, so, say hello to so-and-so and give you my regards hello, to that person. I say goodbye. And goodbye, if you read... Goodbye. Thanks, man. But if you read the very end of Romans, they're actually all Latin names. They're not Hebrew names like they are everywhere else. It's all Latin names, which tells you all the leadership of the church has changed. But basically what, what's going on in 54 AD, all of the Jewish people were let back in to the city. And you can kind of imagine the strife. So, so the Gentiles are now leading the show. The Jewish people come back and they're like, oh, thanks you guys for taking care of things. You know, we really appreciate you holding down the fort. We'll take our leadership positions back now. And all the Gentiles saying, well, it's great to have you back, but you're going to have to get used to things being done a little bit differently. And so there's this question that comes up, and really this is the heart of, of Paul's letter to the Romans. Has God sort of forgotten his people? Like the Old Testament promised that these were the covenant people, that these were the people for the promises and the covenants, and that God was going to renew and restore and rebuild and this whole shoot and everything else. Now all of a sudden, I mean, it's great that the Gentiles are allowed into this family, but are we just expelled entirely? Have we lost all the leadership? Are we not a Jewish church any longer? And it raises this question, has God forgotten us? Is God actually faithful or not? Or has he just changed his mind? 
And so the whole letter of Romans is about the fact that, no, God is faithful. And if you go back in the Old Testament, like we saw in the book of Isaiah, there's no time when God had not promised that the Gentiles were going to be part of this new reality. And we have to get used to that. So the fact of actually having to deal with each other is not just a matter of let's get along with each other because it's nice. But Paul says that's a matter of God's covenant faithfulness. Because if you want to know what it looks like when this shoot is going to spring forth from the stump, it actually looks like the crazy, messy, sometimes sinful, sometimes corrupt church that we all live in now. And we have to come to terms with that because if we look around and think of what a mess the church is these days, we have to kind of acknowledge that it's actually God's mess that he chose to allow it into the hands of people like us, as much strife as there is with us and as many times we fight and ethnic and everything else. And so that's really what Paul is getting out of the very end of the letter, saying that this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been given, and this is our reality now. And it's through Jesus Christ that these promises have now been fulfilled, and you're living in the middle of it. So it's fast-forwarding from these prophecies of Isaiah showing this is what it looks like now. Yeah. It's a neat connection, I think. That's beautiful. That's all I got. Yeah, I don't have anything, man. You just you just rock my socks. Oh, shucks. Yeah, dude, that's that's good. Th- that's wisdom. All right, so that takes us to Matthew. Matthew. Mat- Mateo. And so this is a great scene in Matthew. This is the scene of uh, right. It's it's the introduction of John the Baptist. Why well, don't is it? Yeah, it's his introduction. It's where yes. he appears. Um, it doesn't talk about Jesus's baptism yet. It gives you all the stuff leading right up to Jesus's baptism. And it's, it's kind of a cool scene. Um, do you want to go for it or should I start? Just keep going, man. You're <laughs> rocking. I like, dude, right. I, I, I'm in awe of the beauty, which oh. is flowing from thy lips. Shucks. All right. So it begins by saying, John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, it was of him the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Um, this is, again, connecting us back to Isaiah. So Isaiah elsewhere talked about, I mean, again, Isaiah is, so profound because there's so much stuff about what's going to, if you want to know, if you're living in the first century and you want to know what's going to happen when God sets things right, when the Messiah comes, just read Isaiah because he gives you all the information. And if you want to know where to be looking for the Messiah, if you want to know where to pay attention for God to set things right, he actually says, look to the wilderness because there's going to be a voice and a messenger crying out repentance for these things. Talk about a gifted position in the universe. I mean, Isaiah, talk about a man who was willing to actually engage the uh, specific mission that was given to him and he what he saw he recorded and he took himself very seriously and and threw this down and because of it we have this such a such a beautiful image of who John the Baptist is I mean yeah. he, like he saw John the Baptist I've got to yeah. believe that somehow the eternal realities were opened up and he had a vision of heaven and in heaven, he saw these the, this profound moment of baptism of of the passion yeah. and these sorts of things, and that he was gifted. And like I think about God in the midst of this, because what's he trying to do? He's trying to help us to know when we're on the path. He's trying yeah. to say, oh, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to prepare you so that you can actually see. And then there's this going to be this dude who's willing to say yes. It's not like um, it's not like a prediction of the future. It's a, it's a glimpse into the future, which is just is just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Two other things about that, though, before we move on. So, again, to connect all of this stuff together, what's going on here? Well, Isaiah is talking about, again, this dark time. The tree is going to be cut down, but there's going to be a shoot. There's going to be hope. Really, one of the things that the book of Isaiah focuses on is what scholars sometimes call the new exodus. 
So, I mean, for the Jewish people, for the Old Testament, the fundamental, the pinnacle act of God's salvation for the Old Testament was the Exodus, where they were set free from slavery. They crossed through the Red Sea. They were given God's law. They were given manna, bread from heaven, water from Iraq, all these things. And eventually they crossed the Jordan River and they received the promised land. And so for, you know, why is everybody, so what, the, what Matthew says is that all of Jerusalem and Judea, all the people are flocking out to this guy. Where are they flocking? Well, they're flocking out to the wilderness, to the desert, to the Jordan River. Why? It's because that's, that's where they passed over into the promised land. So it's, it, he's actually leaving the promised land to go into exile as a, in a prophetic gesture yes. and then come back into the land in a new way, in a new capacity. And that's what makes it so profound because you yeah. have to look at where is he ministering. Yes. And there's evidence in the, in the gospel itself yeah, to say, exactly. okay, where was he? He was, um, oh gosh, is it in this one? No, it's in Luke. Oh, it's in Luke. Yeah. So, so, so we can actually see that he is on the other side of the Jordan. They actually have to leave the promised land yeah. and then come back in. And that's, uh, that, that's just beautiful because then we get right tied back into Isaiah. Yes, exactly. Who's, who's saying you're going to go into exile, but then you're going to return. And in that return, there's going to be a power. And then all yeah. of these prophecies are going to become fulfilled where the lion and the lamb will lay down together. I yeah. mean, like I am, I am um, simultaneously Welsh and Italian. They, they think that that's funny. I don't. I don't. The get lion it. and the I lamb was only half inside. I am. I. Uh, I have many nations. Are those in me. are those symbols of of Welsh? Well, land? the Welsh has a Welsh lion Welsh. in it, oh. and then then the Italians have really nice lambs. I don't know what I'm saying, this is dude. Weird. I, yeah, this it's is getting weird. weird. I'm gonna be real I'm gonna, weird. I'm gonna stop talking Ooh. right now. And, but, but it I, is kind of beautiful. And, and, that I, and I sleep on the bed, and I am bored <laughs> at the same time. I'm just nice saying. Man. Thanks. You got your camel's hair and your girdle on it's, under there? I do. I do. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. That's in the reading, too. No, you remember you didn't bring your Bibles, but that's okay. <laughs> um, ha, ha. No, but it, it is kind of profound that everybody kind of gets this. I mean, here's this crazy man who's wearing camel's hair. He's eating bugs. He's out in the wilderness yelling at everybody. I mean, imagine you went down to, the, to Pearl Street or you went down to the Boulder Creek and there was some homeless guy with wild hair wearing a burlap sack yelling at you to repent. What would you think about that guy? You're like, well, it's some crazy guy, which is essentially what John the Baptist is doing, but everybody gets it, and they all go out there because they all know the storyline. They all know the plot, and they all know what's supposed to happen. There is a new exodus, and John is actually doing all this stuff. So they all go out to him. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting. Ah. It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is the second part of the reading. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I think there's a, there's a difference in the language. Nice. Yeah, it says that all Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to be baptized by him. And then it says the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming out to the baptism. It doesn't say they were being baptized. So you get the sense that the Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of investigating, like, what's this guy up to? They, they, have they, the they were bringing eye. christening gifts. <laughs> they were, <laughs> I'm so they're bringing the footprints you, prayer yeah. for everyone to hang up in their bathrooms. <laughs> That's what they got. Some precious moments. You, you know? always know you're in a Christian home if they have the footprints prayer in the bathroom or on the way to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Sort of the telltale mark. Um, you Protestants know what I'm talking about. Um, no, but here's the thing. So, so they're, they're, they're skeptical, right? I, I, that, that's the sense you get. So yeah, everybody else is flocking. They're like, what's going on out here? And he said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children uh, to Abraham from these stones. Now, here's, here's the catch. You got to ask the question, okay, well, where did this baptism come from? I mean, we understand baptism in the Christian sense, but were people being baptized before Jesus, before John the Baptist? And that's one of the 
these things has kind of confounded scholars. Like, okay, where did John the Baptist's baptism come from? Is this something and people were doing? what was his form? Uh, that's really one of my big questions, because I know that I'm bound by the form of baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He was, you know what he was doing? Is he was doing Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. Oh, right. That's what I've was happening. I've been to his parish. He would, <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's, he, that's why Jesus had to kind of institute the clean apostles up the show, and clean yeah. up the John the Baptist. No, but here's the thing. So there's two things that could be going on here. Number one, um, <laughs> I'm trying to keep us on track time-wise. I know. It's okay. Here, no, I'll, it's okay. I'll show you right there. Do That's it. not Are it. you ready? There you go. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, so there's two things that are going on. So th- there's a group of people called the Essenes. Remember, don't make a scene. They keep so, on making a yeah, scene. Yeah, they keep making a scene. I keep on doing making a scene. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. But some people actually think that John the Baptist might have been a part of this community of the Essenes. They're the ones that actually produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were out in Qumran in the desert. They were basically like Pharisees that hightailed it out of Jerusalem. And they're like, you guys are done for. You guys are up a creek. We're out of here. But one of the things that and, this and, and John the Baptist really literally was up a creek. Wow! Ah, nice work. Oh come boy! On, just bringing it back around. Bringing it back. Um, but the, one of the things they did, they actually did this. It was a thing that kind of looked like baptism, this kind of ritual purification, which is a regular a regular thing. But this is seems different. And and actually, Jewish people did this did this purification. Remember the jars uh, in in the Gospel of John for purification and stuff. But it wasn't for forgiveness of sins. It was to become pure of some you know ceremonial thing. Mm. Nobody's doing it for the forgiveness of sins, except there is a process. And I, I just actually discovered this this morning. There was a process. If you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you wanted to enter into Judaism, there was a process in which you would be washed, you would repent of your sins, and you would kind of be brought into the Jewish way of life. And it would kind of be this new start. Now, here's what's interesting. If that is kind of a, a, symbol, a, a sense of what's going on, who is actually going out and taking part of this? It's not Jewish, Gentile people wanting to be a part of the family of God. It's actually Jewish people needing to be a part of something new, be a part of, be, be cleansed again. So they're actually doing this thing that all the Gentiles who wanted to come into the family of God had to do anyway. So it kind of, does that make any sense? It shows that there's something new going on here. Now, the, Je- the, the Pharisees and Sadducees go out. They're skeptical of this. But look at what Jesus, or John the Baptist says to them. He says, now, even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Now, wait a second. Catch the connection here. What was the first reading? It started by saying there's a stump and there's a shoot coming out of it. Now there's these Pharisees and Sadducees skeptical of this forgiveness of sins. And he's saying there's an axe that is sitting at the root of this tree right now. Dude, I was um, just watching Lord of the Rings, and I'll tell you, man, Gimli had his axe out, and they he got told to put it away, man, because those Ents were getting freaked out in Fangorn Forest, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and so these guys, like, there's the axe at the root of the tree, man, and there's there, and we know about Stumpy. We know about Stumpy. <laughs> we got Stumpy we got right Stumpy here. Stumpy in the mind, man. And he says, therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but some who's coming, some, one is coming after me who's mightier than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's all these references all of a sudden to trees and axes and being cut down and thrown into the fire. And this one who's coming with fire and the Holy Spirit. And that everything is being, fl- everything that we know about Isaiah, everything that people were sort of thinking about what this stump meant and what this day of the Lord was all about is about to be flipped on its head. Now, 
Here's one last thing I want to say, okay. and yeah, you can wrap it up with what you you Father Peter usually brings it home with the very profound spiritual piece. Thank and you. I just give you all the information. Yes, but there's something that happens in Isaiah a couple chapters before. There's this weird line in chapter six where Isaiah is actually caught up to heaven to the throne room of God, and he's shown this vision of the future, and he's he's told by God that you know all the people don't listen, they don't hear, they're deaf, they're blind, and they're going to remain deaf and blind until one moment. Do you remember this in Isaiah six? And, and so God's like, oh, all the people, they're deaf, they're blind. And Isaiah says, okay, how long? How long are they going to remain deaf and blind? And he says, until the whole land lies desolate and there's not a single inhabitant left and everything is totally and completely wiped out. And then there'll be a shoot that comes forth out of the stump. He oh. said it again in chapter six. Now, you have to ask this wow. question because this, most of the story of the Old Testament is people being blind and deaf to what God is doing and corruption and sin. And then if you fast forward, most of the New Testament is the same thing. The gospel story is Jesus doing these profound things and people being totally blind and deaf to it and not getting it and not understanding. What's the moment in the gospels when people in mass finally recognize, oh, I get it now. I get who this Jesus is. It makes sense now. We accept him. He is the Messiah. Pentecost. Which is not in the Gospels, is it? Oh. What happened in between the time that everyone was deaf and blind and the time that they finally get it at Pentecost, which is the right answer? What's in between? The passion, death, and resurrection. So in other words, the obliteration, the destruction of something, the total and complete annihilation of something. Of the the new temple. Of Jesus, Jesus. of the new temple. So Isaiah says, people are going to be blind and deaf and not get it Mm. until the land lies waste, until it's all destroyed. In other words, cut down and thrown into the fire. The people don't get it. The people deserve this. Jesus comes. God himself comes, is cut down like the tree, is thrown into the fire in a certain sense, descends into the depths, and rises again victorious and glorious, like the shoot coming forth out of the stump, which grows upward. I mean, even the imagery is him coming up out of the earth, which is precisely what he does. Well, okay, I want to take my previous answer and amend it (laughs) because all of a sudden what what I'm seeing, well, I I guess I can't amend it because it's actually, it's right, but it's just deeper than what I thought it was before because if we're talking about the, 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 uh, the, the true Davidic heir being cut down and then being raised again and then having the blossom of the church. Oh, so but 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 it's the body of Christ. And that's what's so super crazy, intense and amazing and beautiful is that it's it's actually deep. It is that reality of Jesus. But it's it explodes into the nature of what the true temple is and the true blessing, the worldwide blessing that was promised in him. Ah, that's awesome. (laughs) My brain is exploding. Isn't that awesome, you guys? I just the scriptures, man, the mass and the brilliance Mm. of the church to actually tie these things together. But it does take some work to unpack them. Yeah. So. so our recommendation is get a Jesse tree. Yep. And then put ha- some stuff on it. And hang out with people named Jesse. Yep. Um, and and if or you, tree, I know someone named Tree. Oh, I yeah, tree oh, uh, and root. She makes her own soap. And axe. <laughs> tree <laughs> makes her own soap. Yeah, man. Dude, what's up? Shout out to Tree. Yeah. And the soap. So. Thank you, guys. I don't. I mean, I could. I don't have any deeper things to say than that. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. That's and again, good. I love the fact that Jesus actually doesn't show up yet. It's all about him because we're pointing, we're looking, we're waiting, and we're heading there. 
Man. So so get out your camel hair belts and eat some <laughs> locusts, and we'll yeah. see you next week. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you guys for being here. The crowd grew somehow as we were recording. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for one solid year of the Lanky Guys podcast yeah, um, and all the thousands of you that are actually listening to us out there, which is profoundly humbling to me. And profoundly beautiful. I love you. So we love you. We'll be back next week with a regular version. Send us an email. Uh, find us on Facebook. Pin us on Pinterest. <laughs> on Pinterest. We don't, we don't have, we don't have a Pinterest. Link um, us on LinkedIn, but we all reject that anyway. Find us on the App Store. All right. Anyway, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And have a happy epic. <laughs> Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.